What has happened with the change of government, which was, you know, over a year ago now, well over a year ago now, they've done their traditional thing in industrial relations and decided to make numerous changes to the laws. Um, what I'm going to address is some of those changes, three that have been made already and one that is potentially coming up. So the three that have already been made are changes in relation to fixed term contracts and how we're able to use them as employers. Pay secrecy provisions, it's a reminder, the changes that came in back at, in December of last year and also changes to the laws regarding flexibility and requests for flexibility. Those changes came in in the middle of this year. And then I will also look forward, which I'm sure no one's looking forward to this change, but I'll look forward to the potential changes to casual employment um, and what the government has planned there. So with that, let's start with fixed term contracts. Um, I'll give you a reminder of the principles that are relevant to this, this change comes in very shortly. So from the 6th of December, the new laws will come into place um, and will limit our ability to use fixed term contracts. Um, the limitations relate to how they can be used. They restrict us trying to find loopholes to get around the laws. And they also require us to use, to provide an employee that we giving a fixed term contract to a new fixed term contract statement. So like the other Fair Work Ombudsman statements that you have to give to new employees, they're going to create a new one for six fixed term employees. So what exactly are the limitations? You can't use a contract that will is not for a casual employee and sets a identifiable period if other requirements are met. And these are the requirements if it's going to be greater than two years in length. If it has two terms, so a term that initially operates and then a further term, if the sum of those two, two terms is greater than two years, then um, these laws will impact. Similarly, if you roll it over once, you can't roll it over a second time. Um, that's, that's the key requirements. Um, and there will be some exceptions. And one of the exceptions is that um, it, it's not the same work. Another is that there's not con continuity between the prior and the past. But if you have those elements, then you're within the type of contract that can no longer be maintained as a fixed-term contract. There are a list of exceptions which give us hope. I think, gee, wow, there's eight exceptions which maybe I might be able to fall within. Um, not many of them are particularly useful. Um, if one exception is I've got a specific task for a specialist to undertake, and it's the task. That doesn't mean you can have a role for a specialist and you fall within the exceptions and the laws don't apply. There's an exception if it's a particular contract for a training arrangement. So there's a fixed period for the training arrangement. That doesn't fall within these laws and doesn't limit your ability to use fixed term contracts. The next area is to accommodate essential work or temporary period of leave. Now this has some utility. So we think of the person that you put in for a parental leave replacement and then the parental leave gets extended. You'd be able to roll over the contract for the parental leave and you might be able to roll it over more than once if the parental leave get it gets extended more than once. Probably the most useful area for this exclusion would be in the area of workers' comp. So you put someone in to replace someone who's ill or injured 
there's not a clarity around when that person's going to return. So you're using a number of rolling um, fixed term contracts to cover for that person. If the employee is over the fixed, uh, sorry, the, uh, the high income threshold. So currently, if the employee's salary essentially is 167,500 or more, then the laws in relation to fixed term contracts don't apply. After that, we haven't got a lot of exclusions that are going to be of much relevance to the attendees of this. Um, relates to government funding, maybe for the the next exclusion relates to probably positions in not for profit type organisations where you've got an executive director that has a, a fixed period of um, their their role. Um, you could use it for them if it was longer than two years. We're told that modern awards might change and give us some other exceptions. There are none yet. We're told regulations might come in and give us further exceptions. There are none yet. So that's that's the position that we're sitting in. Um, and then if we think we want to get clever, <laughs> they're trying to outsmart us and say, well, there's a if you try to avoid these laws by particular methods, you terminate the employment for a period and then re-engage. Um, if that's done for the purposes of avoiding the fixed term contract limitations, then it'll be ineffective. Um, if you decided to employ someone else to do the same role to avoid the limitations you know, on fixed term employment, that won't be allowed. Um, if you delay the re-engagement, which is really just another way of saying the first anti-avoidance provision, that won't be successful. If you try to change the nature of the work. So you try to vary the duties um, in a somewhat superficial way, um, then that won't be counted. Of course, if there was a completely different role and the person that you had under one fixed term contract is asked to do a completely different role, that that might be allowable and you might be able to restart the, the limit, well, restart the timing for fixed term contracts. So you might be able to put someone on a new two year fixed term contract or roll it over again where you otherwise couldn't be. Um, and then of course they have the catch all, otherwise alter, alter an employment arrangement um, to avoid the provisions of the law. We don't know how that's going to be interpreted at the moment, but it's a, an attempt to sort of try to outsmart those of us who think we might, might find a way around these laws. So this slide really just attempts to give you a summary of what you can do and what you can't do under the new laws, remembering they start from the 6th of December this year. So the fourth dot point under yes there is you've got a small window of opportunity. Theoretically, if you wanted to enter into a 10-year fixed-term contract before the 6th of December, you could do so. After the 6th of December, you cannot do so. Um, but otherwise, those limitations uh, are there. You can have a fixed term contract up to two years. You can have two. You can have a contract which then rolls over for a further period. As long as the total is not more than two years, you can have one rollover. But otherwise, um, it's quite restrictive in terms of what you're able to do and what you can't do. Next area is pay secrecy. Now, this. Um, looks at those provisions which are commonly, well, I say commonly, you, you see them fairly regularly or have seen them in the past in employment contracts, which essentially says your terms of employment are confidential to you and your employer and you're not to discuss them with anyone else. 
Now, those types of clauses, to the extent that they limit the employee's ability to discuss remuneration or terms that go to determining remuneration, then they're no longer lawful. Um, so employees have the right now to disclose their remuneration to others, and they have the right to ask other persons about their remuneration. Um, if there's a term inconsistent with that ability, then that is an unenforceable term. And if you bring into a contract after, well, at any time now, or if you vary a contract at any time now, then you're exposed as an employer to penalties. So I just want to reiterate that. Employees can discuss their pay and they can ask anyone to disclose their pay. No employee is required to disclose their pay to someone who asks them. It just gives them the ability to ask and the ability to disclose. And it also allows them to talk about other clauses that affect pay, such as an hours provision. Um, so as I said, they've been in place since the 7th of December. There's a little bit of a complication in that what the government did was the laws came into effect last year. They then said, essentially, we're going to give you a window of opportunity to, um, if you make a mistake and enter into a new contract or vary a contract after that date, you're not open to be penalised for that up until the middle of this year. But that window has now closed. What does that mean? If you've retained pay secrecy clauses in your contracts, I suspect you haven't maintained them in your new contracts. You've probably reviewed them and taken them out. Um, but if you've maintained, if you've varied an old contract and haven't turned your mind to whether or not the old contract had a pay secrecy clause, that, that action of variation is in effect like making a new contract and you will then expose yourself to potential penalties. If you've done that, my recommendation is you um, let people know that that clause won't be enforced. Um, I haven't seen anyone yet be prosecuted for breaching this provision, and I suspect it won't be one that um, is enforced rigorously. Um, but I also know that there were lots of employers that have provisions in their contracts of this nature that didn't enforce them either. So um, that's where we're at. Um, and um, that's a reminder. That's the potential penalties. <laughs> so 93900 for a corporation that breaches these provisions by putting in a pay secrecy clause into a contract. Um, large figure. I think people are unlikely to be prosecuted. If they're prosecuted, I don't think they'll um, have that sort of penalty imposed. Unless not only did you have it in your contract, but you were actively trying to enforce it against an employee and took adverse action against them, well, that would be a, a different scenario. Um, and it might not only involve um, proceedings for breach of um, this provision of the Fair Work Act, but you probably find yourself in a general protections claim. But that's something to discuss at another time. Um, other changes that have been in place since the middle of this year, so since June 7th, I believe is the correct date, um, flexible work arrangements laws changed. Um, in relation to flexible work arrangements, we've had the ability of employees to request changes to, flex to allow them to have greater flexibility in their work. So things such as changing when they start and finish, 
compressed hours, job sharing, um, change of work location, and I'm sure there's a range of other um, types of flexibilities that you've been asked to provide. Um, those laws, the right to request remains. What has changed is one, the ability for an employee to have a refusal of a request reviewed, and they can ultimately go to the Fair Work Commission if they're upset with the decision. And secondly, the processes that are required before a refusal is implemented. Um, so it essentially has become a lot more onerous and where in the past you would have been advised by me or others that as long as you meet the timeframes and put in writing the refusal, noting some reasonable business grounds, then with a few exceptions um, under the legislation, that decision wouldn't be able to be reviewed. It now can be reviewed. So it's a much more onerous obligation. So who has a right to make these requests? There's a list there. Um, and when you work through that list, you'll see a great variety of your employees have an ability to request flexibility. Um, when you try to distill who can't request flexibility, it's probably a non-parent who is under 55 and doesn't otherwise have care or responsibilities. Um, pretty much everyone else in your workplace can request flexibility under this provision, I guess separately, even if that person that I described that fits in the group that can't formally request in the current market for labour at the moment, when they do request it, you still probably will give it some consideration. Um, the employees, sorry, the other element that is relevant is not only that they fit within one of those categories that can request flexibility, but they've been with you for at least 12 months. Um, this covers casuals with an ongoing expectation of work and permanent employees. Um, so when you respond to a request, you've got to um, either accept it or reject it. If you're going to reject it, there's quite a process that needs to be followed before you reject it. Um, here's some of the details of that. You receive a request. If you're not immediately going to accept it, then you need to discuss it with the employee. If you don't feel you can provide the specific flexibility that's been sought, then you need to look for alternatives and discuss those with the employee. If the employee, um, if you can't reach agreement on an alternative, um, that's, that's acceptable. Um, but there's a further step that you've got to take before you provide a rejection. And that is to think about the impact on the employee. This is like a step of um, a moment of empathy is required <laughs> before you actually move forward and decide to reject. Um, then you've got to express it in writing and set out your reasonable business grounds for rejecting the request. Now, those reasonable business grounds um, are many and varied, but the most obvious ones are it's too costly. We just don't have the capacity to provide the flexibility. Um, it would otherwise be impractical to provide the flexibility. The impact on others would be too great if we gave the flexibility that is requested, but I do caution, one of the reasons that you can't rely upon is a floodgates argument. So you can't say, um, if I grant this flexibility to one person, everyone's gonna ask for it and we won't be able to cope. 
what the law basically says is if you can currently grant the flexibility to one person, then you should grant that flexibility. That may change in the future. And it's important when you're granting flexibility that you make it clear to the employee that I can't guarantee you this flexibility on an ongoing basis because as more employees need to be accommodated in terms of flexibility, the ability I have to give you a certain level of flexibility may change. So it's important that you reserve that position for yourself so that you can say, well, going into the future, we may not be able to um, give you the same level of flexibility, but we'll come back to you, discuss it with you. Okay, so that leads us to the last area that I'm to discuss in my designated time before we um, get to questions. Um, and that relates to the changes to the laws around casuals. Um, I'm sure if we we're in a room, I'd hear the groans from all of you as we go, didn't we deal with this over the last three years? We had the decision in Skane, we all got worried. We had the new government, well, the government as it then was, the Morrison government changed the law to give us clarity. We also had the high court come in to give us further clarity. And now you're telling me it's gonna change again. Um, unfortunately I am. So here's where we currently sit. Um, which is largely the position we had for decades, which was if you engage an employee as a casual and you don't guarantee them any ongoing future work, they take the employment as a casual, then they are a casual. That's essentially what section 15A of the Fair Work Act currently says. That went in. Then we had the High Court in Rosado which you may recall, which confirmed essentially that it wasn't necessary for the government to step in and give us 15A because the High Court said the courts below it had got it wrong um, and a casual is a casual who's engaged um, and paid as such, essentially is what that decision said. It's a little more, more elegant than that, but that's the essence of where we're sitting today. Um, but the government having released its closing the loopholes bill is telling us that it's going to change those arrangements. Um, not quite as drastically as we had thought they might. Um, they, Before they released this legislation, they were telling us it was all about casual conversion, which was confusing because we knew we had casual conversion provisions. But once you understand the law, it's the, the proposed law. So I make it very clear, this is not yet the law. The closing the loopholes bill has been sent off to a Senate committee. The Senate committee is not going to release its report until February of next year. And so there may be changes. So we'll need to check in um, on this. You'll need to check in on this at a later point, certainly sometime in February to see whether or not what I'm telling you is proposed actually becomes a law. But essentially what is proposed is that there's an examination at the time the employee is engaged, seemingly as a casual. If at that time the employee is truly a casual, that's how they'll be treated and that's how it will go moving forward. If after the initial engagement as a casual, and the definition is largely the definition we've been talking about before, if 
moving forward, the employees' arrangements change so they actually take on a permanency, then at that point, well, either six months or 12 months down the track, depending whether it's a large employer or a small employer, six months for most employers, if six months down the track, the employee believes they've become permanent, they can make application for a transfer to permanency, so a casual conversion request. If that request is granted by the employer, then they become a permanent employee and should be treated as such moving forward. If the employer does not grant permanency at that point, the employee has the ability to go to the Fair Work Commission and say, well, I think my employer's decision is wrong. I My employment has actually morphed into permanency and therefore I should be made a permanent employee. But only when there's either agreement by the employer or the determination of the Fair Work Commission does the employee change from being a casual to being a permanent moving forward. So I think this is the type of compromise that people have been talking about um, in relation to um, some of the laws that have been discussed. And in relation to casuals, um, it's still not ideal, but it's not quite as problematic as it might have otherwise seemed. Um, anyway, what I say is watch this space because um, what will be the law is yet to be determined. Um, and I guess it's the determination of um, what the Greens do, what a couple of the other crossbenchers do, and whether there's any compromises or further amendments arising from that. Um, but that is my set piece for today. Um, and thank you. And I'm sure there'll be some questions that arise now. Yeah, look, thank you so much for that, Tim. Certainly very, very informative. I figure before we go to some questions from those in attendance that there, there's a couple of scenarios that I think are pretty typical for the people who are attending this webinar today, at least uh, in general. So is it okay with you if I maybe present you with some of these scenarios and we can talk through best practice approach? No worries at all, Jenny. Okay, well, the first one I've got here is, let's just imagine I've got a, a contractor who's been working with us for uh, about two years already. Um, their contract's actually about to come up at the end of December here, and we want to extend them. We want to keep them on um, in their current capacity. What can I do about that? What are my choices here? Um, your, your choices, if there hasn't been, if, you, if you're willing to act before the 6th of December, you have a choice of putting into place a new fixed term contract of whatever duration can be agreed with the employee. Um, so it, these laws wouldn't apply to that contract if it's entered before the 6th of December. Right. If it's entered after the 6th of December, the fixed term contract laws that I've talked about will apply. So if that, I think in your scenario, been about two years, um, you might get a if it's not quite two years, you might get the balance of the term could be your extension. Otherwise, you'd need to move them to permanency. And right. that, would, that would be um, likely permanency um, with HBG, if they're an HBG appointed employee, um, or potentially permanency with the host company. So they're my kind of three options. If I can recap and make sure I've got that right. Mm -hmm. First option would be to sign them onto a new contract before December 6th and continue on as normal on the condition that it's a decent length so that I don't have to go through this process. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, I can make them permanent with me or permanent through HPG. If I got that right. That's right. 
Great. Okay. Let me throw another scenario at you. And just a reminder to those in attendance, um, throw questions into that Q&A section. Uh, we will have time to get to those with Tim today. Second scenario for you there, Tim. If I've got a contractor who's been working with me in, in a particular role and at the end of two years, I can't make them permanent. I don't have the headcount, uh, Whatever that, for whatever reason, I can't make them permanent. Am I able to keep them as a contractor, but just kind of change them to a different role within the business? Um, yes, if it truly is a different role. Okay. Um, if you're really um, trying to make the same role look like a different role, um, that's what the anti-avoidance provisions are really about. And you'd really have to make them permanent. And I know on that scenario, you wouldn't be able to make them permanent. Um, so you, you may have to conclude their employment. Sorry, that's him. I just put myself on mute. So <laughs> yes. um, that gives me a good a response there. So I can put them in a similar, a, a completely different position, not a similar yes, position. Not a, not a similar position. And the greyness between what's completely different and what is similar we will have to see. Um, I can see I can still be in a marketing role, but a more senior or more junior role may be different. I might be in a subspecialty, one particular subspecialty of a marketing role, and I move to a different subspecialty. I think that would be all right. Um, but if I'm really just tweaking the duties to make it look something different, I think we're going to run into problems. And correct me if I'm wrong then, Tim, The even in that new new role, mm. as different mm. as it needs mm. to be, all of the same rules that you just went through still apply to that in that uh, once that two years is up as well. Yes. Okay. Yes. Last scenario I've got for you, and then we do have a few questions here mm. to propose to you, but the last scenario, to just give some context to the content mm. you delivered, um, if I've got a contractor, they've done a really great job for me in the past, I want to re-engage them after December 6th, that line in the sand mm. date, can I just start with them afresh, hire them on a two-year contract, or will the previous tenure they've had with me, because I've already worked with them before, will that count? Yeah, unfortunately, the previous tenure will count. Um, so the new contract or the desire to roll it over after the 6th of December, will the new laws will apply to that. So they look at it retrospectively. Whatever period of time I've had them previously counts. Yeah. And it's strange because, however, if you got in before the 6th of December, you could put them on a 10-year contract um, and it wouldn't be caught by these new laws. So ultimately, that's that's one of the key takeaways here is, and you said it in your very first couple of sentences, we have a unique window before December 6th to make some of these changes. Now, I've got a few questions coming through here and, and bear with me, I'm going to read them as they come up. Sure. Um, so the first question here is regarding casuals. How does the assessment for conversion apply if they're engaged via a third party provider, AKA an agency? What is the agency's obligation with these new laws? Um, the agency's obligation is the same as any other employer. So if they're agency engage the person as a casual and at the time of the engagement wasn't certain how much work was going to be required but over time and this often happens with casuals gee this person's great we'll give them more work and their role morphs into certainty at that point the employee could seek conversion and if 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 they seek it and 
the requirements for conversion are there, that there's ongoing work of a similar nature, um, permanency is possible, then they need to be converted. Um, I do note, though, that these rights for conversion have been around for a long time, and most employees don't take them up. Um, there's a pretty important reason for that, because if you move from casual to permanency, you lose your 25% casual loading. Um, and that's a pretty significant reason why people don't make that move. Okay, that's a great answer for that question. Thank you. Next one I have here is how do the casual changes impact arrangements we have for contractors through agencies like HPG? Mm. Does casual conversion still apply? So similar question there with the relationship not being direct and mm. yes, exactly as you responded before, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So um, HPG will be facing that issue and you'll need to have a discussion um, with the host company about how it can be managed moving forward. Yeah, it's a great conversation to be having with your consultant in that space. Um, let's see. In the first scenario um, that the question has here, what if the fixed-term contract end date is after December 6th and the goal is to end that fixed-term contract so they're not going to roll them over? It's been, it's been two years already. Um, we don't have to make them permanent, just wait until the agreed end date. So there's already an end date in place. Can yes. we see that end date out, Absolutely. even though it's been more than two years? Absolutely. So it's a bit like the scenario I was talking about on the 5th of December, you decide to enter into a 10-year contract. You could see that out. Um, similarly, if you had a contract that was finishing in January next year and you had no intention of continuing it, that can just end in the ordinary course. Even though it's been more than 10 years? Oh, yeah. More than two years. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, just because someone was on a three-year fixed term and the moves into the second year in the 7th of December, that doesn't make them suddenly permanent. Got you. Okay, great. Um, last couple of questions here, although by all means, those in attendance, if you have questions, type them into that Q&A function. Can HPG allow temps to work longer than two years? Um, they're not on a fixed contract, um, a, a temp in the true sense. A, a casual in the true sense um, is excluded from the fixed term contract laws. So if they are a true casual and you're using them Intermittently, they're not sure when they're going to get the next job. They might get a week here, a week there, a um, couple of days here, a couple of days there. Um, that can go on for a long time. Um, in fact, many years. Um, it's it's only when they're in a fixed term where you know I work three days a week, every week in the same role, and the initial term six months, and then I want to roll that over. Um, you'll be able to roll it over once, but you won't be able to roll it over again. Okay. Um, sorry, Tim, can I check? You, you mentioned something about a lot of contractors, um, because they get that casual load in, they will be reluctant. They, they don't necessarily all want to go permanent. If there's a situation where we've got a contractor um, on a fixed term contract, but the client can't make them permanent, they want to keep them, and the contractor wants to stay contracting, are they able to continue with that client? Are we able to do a contract extension to allow them to work longer than the two years if the contractor has given their um, permission for that? Unfortunately not, Laura. No, no. no. So it, that rules only in relation to true casuals. Um, but for someone that's a fixed-term employee, essentially working permanently during that term, um, they'll be treated as a fixed-term employee, not as a, not as a casual. 
Next question here, thanks, Tim. Um, is there any protection or difference between contractors engaged via third parties and direct with companies? Um, well, in a sense, there's protections for the host company because the obligations stay with the um, third party provider. So um, if, you know, if, if the third party provider was breaching the laws, it's not an issue for the host employer, I'm sure. Um, it'd be, it's an issue for the employing entity, um, but undoubtedly the employing entity will be saying, I can't do things you're asking me to do if it's going to, well, I might be able to do them, but they'll be in a different context. So I've rolled this person over once. You want to roll it over again? I need to take them on as permanent or we can talk about whether we transfer them to you, host company, as a permanent employee. Got you. Okay. Um, another question here. If we have a fixed-term contractor whose contract is due to expire after the 6th of December, mm. can we agree to a new fixed-term contract with a longer expiry mm. before the 6th of December? In other words, reissue the contract before the expiry date of the current contract? You certainly can. Obviously, the employee has to agree to it. Um, but if they agree to it, there's, there's no problem with doing that. That's kind of the opportunity, though, yes, to have that discussion and to reissue those contracts. Absolutely. Before December 6th. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, last question I think I've got here. Oh, no, a couple more coming through. Thank you. Um, let's see. Where can we obtain the revised clause for pay secrecy? Uh, would we only add this clause to new contracts coming up? So this is a, this is a good question because... The conversations I've been having with clients is where they've got a pay secrecy clause in it. You can change it so that you can say, essentially, all terms except those dealing with pay and terms that affect pay um, are still confidential, but your pay-related clauses are not confidential. Then um, there's two schools. Some employers go, oh, that's just too complicated. Let's just get rid of the requirement in relation to confidentiality and pay. Um, and others say, no, we'll do the more nuanced clause. There's also a, a trip here in your confidenti confidential information clause. So you mightn't have a specific pay secrecy clause, but you might have a broad confidentiality clause, which has the usual stuff about, you know, if you... If you have access to our pay secret, if you have access to our trade secrets, if you have access to our marketing plans, if you have access to our financial information, you obviously have to keep that um, confidential. But it might say something that seems broad enough, such as if you have access to any information um, that is confidential, um, you are not to disclose it. So, and first blush, you wouldn't think of that as being the pay, a pay secrecy clause but it could operate in that way. So with clients, when we're drafting new contracts or talking to them about varying their existing contracts, we say in relation to that sort of wording, just make it clear this does not include um, a, re a restriction on um, disclosing your pay consistent with the pay secrecy laws or words to that effect. Okay. Um just another couple here. What if I extend a casual before the 6th of December in that window? Mm -hmm. I extend them for two more years. I extend them for two years. 
And then a year down the track, there's no more work available. There's, is there flexibility to end their assignment earlier than two years or do I need to keep them to that new end date? Um, it's really important that if you're going to extend a fixed term contract um, for a long period, um, before the 6th of December. It's really, we talk about it as a fixed term contract, but really it should be a maximum term contract. Okay. And so by what that I mean is it's a, in the 10 year example, um, I'm going to inc increase the term to 10 years, but during the term, I may conclude the contract on notice. Um, if you're using notice um, and assuming the employee has unfair dismissal rights, um, if you're ending it before the end of the term, you'll have to meet the requirements in relation to unfair dismissal laws. So it's not just a matter of saying I can give notice. Um, you'll have to make sure you have a reason and follow a fair procedure before termination. Got you. So another question here, uh, hire, hiring a casual on a project or per project instead of on a time-based, is, is that a solution? Mm -hmm. Can we do it that way? Um, it's one of the, so if we talk about them as, fixed task employees and assuming they're doing a fixed task for with specialist skills, it's one of the exclusions from these limitations of um, on fixed term contracts. So if it's clearly a task and um, you know they're specialist in some way, that can be done. Um, and it's the limitation on the term of the contract is not actually time it's actually the completion of the task okay tim that actually brings us to the end of the questions that our attendees have typed here laura is there anything that springs to mind that we can ask tim while we've got him here and just another chance for our attendees to type a question into that q a section uh no specific specifics i think we've covered quite a lot there but um, what I would just say to our attendees is not to panic that, it, you know, it is a, a hot topic and we've got a window of time before we um, have to make a decision, six of, the 6th of December. Um, I would just say reach out to your consultant or myself or we've got Owen as well. Um, we can arrange a meeting with you, jump on a call with you and talk through solutions for your existing contractors and what that looks like. So um, we'll be reaching out to you over the next week. Um, but feel free to, to reach out to us before then if you like. Awesome. Thanks for that, Laura. I did get there is a sneaky question sitting here, Tim, if you don't mind. <laughs> no worries at it all. It says, can you please define the specialist skills that I think were sitting in that exemption space? Oh, yeah. No, that, that, I can't. No time for that? Okay, <laughs> no, thanks no, anyway, that... Tim. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, it's not defined in a way, um, but and it, it's it's people we're talking to today wouldn't fall within this, but um, a labourer um, doing a fixed task is probably not going to be providing specialist skills. Um, but a, a professional in any sort of category um, will be providing um, specialist skills. Um, so if they, you know, an IT professional, they're a marketing professional, they're an HR professional, they're a legal professional, um, if you've got a defined task for those and you need their specialist skills to complete that task, you'll fall within the exemption. Okay, thank you for that, Tim. Appreciate that. That does bring us to the end of the questions here. Laura? Great. I think as well, just rounding up, there, there's really three main options that we can be looking at. I think the first one and the, 
easiest one, I guess, for people would be to extend contracts before the 6th of December. And that needs to be both parties have actually signed that contract before the 6th of December. So I would get in a little bit quicker than that to make sure that there's no place <laughs> there. Um, so that would be your first uh, your first option. Your second option is you can take them permanently yourselves um, as a, a as their employer uh, rather than HPG. And I know that can be an issue with headcount for a lot of companies. And that takes us to the final option, which is HPG can take these people as employees for you. It would mean they could continue to contract in the, the capacity they are now, but they would be a HPG permanent employee. This is something we could discuss later down the line because there would be additional costs for this because we would incur extra costs around redundancy, severance pay, uh, we'd have to pay holiday pay, things like that. So it wouldn't be the same rates. Um, it would be different and that would differ year on year. It's not as simple as just giving you an exact number as to what that would look like, but it is an option that we can discuss with you further. And that's us. So thank you, everybody. Really appreciate your attendance today. And uh, myself, Owen, and the HPG colleagues will reach out to you over the next week.